The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. If the spirits were something that you could see and touch and scan with your little devices. If you can explain everything, what's left to believe in? I know it's an important part of your religion to trust the spirits without question, but I wasn't brought up that way. It's hard for me to accept. So much for your tolerant, open-minded Starfleet ideals. There's a difference between respecting the spiritual beliefs of other cultures and embracing them myself. Fine. Don't embrace a thing. It's all the same to us. Go on back to your ship and play with your molecular micro-scanner. You've tried all that already, but it didn't work, did it? Kes didn't get better. No, she didn't. Why not? The doctor couldn't explain it. So it's inexplicable, a miraculous non-recovery. We haven't found the reason yet, but of course you will. You'll find all the answers eventually, with enough time and study and the right sort of tools. That's what you believe, isn't it, as a scientist? Be honest. Yes, that's what I've always believed. Even when her science fails right before her eyes, she still has full confidence in it. Now there's a leap of faith. Unconditional trust? Now that's promising. All right. If you're saying that science won't help Kess, what will? You won't like it. London. It is Thursday, April 8, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color and color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to our show today where our theme for the whole show, I guess you could say, is asking the question, are science and religion in conflict? And should they be? Are they? That kind of question, eh, Robert? Yeah, it was a good clip you had there at the beginning from uh, Voyager. Uh, what was it called? Sacred Ground, I think. That was the name of that episode. going to hear a couple more later on where, of course, a very scientific person, and in, in the name of Captain Janeway there, has to make an action on faith. She has to take an action on faith, which of course proves to be scientifically understandable later on, but nevertheless, she acts on faith. And we're going to see what we can come up with for you on this. I think you're going to hear things today on the show about science and faith that you won't normally have heard about this ever, and never-ending debate, I guess we could call it. 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in the conversation. And, be careful here, we have a new email, right, Robert? Yes, it's call, It's uh, it, feedback at justrightmedia.org. Much simpler than the one we had before. Yep, people go to our website, uh, justrightmedia.org, they'll see the new email there, plus a sort of a new look to the website. A new look, yeah, that's true. Well, Robert, you're the one that got us into trouble on this issue today because of an article I guess you found somewhere. Why don't yeah. you uh, set the stage for us, and we'll carry on from here. Right, okay, well, I've got a Basically, I'm going to talk about the first half hour, and Bob, you'll take the last half hour talking Roughly. about science and religion and, and, and where the two shall meet or shouldn't meet or do meet, and the blurring of the lines. And you're right, there was a, an article I saw in the Globe and Mail. I'll get into that specifically later on. 
But I think I'm going to start off the show by just sort of setting the framework by uh, just recalling people about when science and religion first came to battle. And it was probably with Galileo. I think that's probably the first real head-to-head battle that science and religion came to. And uh, just recently, the, well, the last few years, I guess, 10 years ago, Catholic Church apologized to Galileo, saying, basically, yeah, you were right. In fact, I have a clipping about that right here. Oh, do you? Great. <laughs> I d- didn't know that. Uh, also, before we discuss anything, I think we should clarify and make definitions, because a lot of people out there have a lot of... Um, understanding about religion and understanding about science, but when we're into a discussion about it, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. What we mean when we say science or what we mean when we say religion. That way there's no misunderstanding, or at least less misunderstanding. Well, don't worry, we'll muddle it up later. In the yeah, in it's always a chance half. for that. <laughs> but I looked up the word science, and actually it comes from the Latin scientia, meaning simply knowledge. That's all science means, at least the word. Uh, and science, of course, refers to a system of acquiring knowledge based on a method of gathering observable, empirical, and measurable evidence subject to specific principles of reasoning. So that's the definition of science we're going to be using. And religion. Religion is a little more difficult to define succinctly because it can mean different things to different people. But by religion, I mean the belief without evidence that there exists a personal God who created the universe and takes a direct interest in the goings-on of everybody on this planet, a belief held by billions of people. Okay, that's a very important distinction because not everyone would define it that way. That's We're going to hear about that later. That's right. Yeah, and we have a clip coming up from a person who probably would not who's religious but wouldn't fit into that category. Um, More than one, perhaps. Interesting you say science is knowledge, because if you use the word knowledge instead, then you'd have a a debate, not science versus religion, but knowledge versus belief without evidence. It kind of seems almost self-evident when you define it that way. Yeah, you're right. If you, if so are you winning the argument by definition? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, so what do we do for the rest now. of the show? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is all, but that's epistemology, right? Yes. And that's what the whole debate is about. That's what this that's whole thing is about. going to make this very interesting because uh, wait a later. <laughs> and this article that I'm going to bring up actually sort of blurs the lines between these two points of view, science and religion. In the article, The Globe and Mail, Saturday, April 3rd, is by Aaron Anderson, entitled... Scientists investigate if atheists' brains are missing a God spot. And in the article, we find that there's an international scientific network being formed to collect research on atheism. Uh, In particular, Pitzer College in uh, Los Angeles, a private school, a very small college actually, is expected to announce the first secular studies department in in the world this spring. Now, it would seem to me that any university is already a place of reason, insight, research, rationality, and therefore is, almost by definition, a place of secular study. To have an actual setup, a department of secular studies, only goes to highlight, in my estimation at least, how universities are failing us and have, to an increasing degree, become places of mysticism and irrationality. The lines are blurring in that respect. Well, we've certainly seen that on this show over the past few weeks, haven't we? (laughs) Oh, yes, for sure. And from the same article, Bob, uh, last December, I'm quoting from the article here, last December, social scientists gathered at the University of Oxford for a conference on atheism, uh, unquote. And it is well worth noting here, Bob, that the vast majority of scientists are atheists. That's a fact the vast majority. Fully 93% of members of the Academy of Sciences in the United States are atheists. Uh, 
And by atheists, again, I mean they don't believe in a personal God which interacts directly with human beings. That's important. That definition is important because the number decreases if you talk about um, a spirituality. It also but is still, completely different if you talk about people who say they're religious. Yes. That's a whole different thing again. Yes, again, definitions Definition, are very yep. important in this discussion. But still, even if you said some sort of spirit or creator or anything like that, not necessarily supernatural being, it is still a majority of scientists polled say that they are atheists. You're correct. <clears throat> yeah. Einstein was among them. Einstein among them, yeah. The most, most notable scientists in the world are among them. Now, during this conference, they, they posed the question, Quote, if religion or spiritual belief is the human default position, how does atheism happen? Unquote. This question can only be gotten away with in the universities of today. <laughs> if there's a so-called default position government at all... Government grants, Robert, that's what it is. And we, yeah, we pay for it, yeah. <laughs> if there's a default position at all, it is atheism. A child is born with no inherent or default knowledge of any religion, God, or spirituality in any religious sense. Newborns are cognitively tabula rasa. They may, as they grow, develop a sense of wonder and awe at the world around them, but that is not the kind of spirituality these scientists are questioning. A child must be taught about God. Quite often, religion is taught in a disciplined environment where any contrary beliefs are punished, either physically or psychologically, mostly psychologically. For example, if you try to understand and adopt the beliefs of your parents, you usually do so in order to please them. That's a subtle sort of um, oppressive, mm -hmm. disciplined environment. So religion is not... It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, no. no. Uh, but it's often the case. So religion is not the human default position. So the question that these scientists are out to ask or answer is wrong right at the beginning. And it's self-evidently wrong. If they only thought about epistemology and where we get our knowledge... Well, so, that makes the answer they come up with all the more interesting and in how they arrived at it. Yeah, it'd be nice to see what they come up with. <laughs> well, you mean they haven't got an answer yet? Um, well, no, that, that's what the conference is oh, about. Oh, they're still looking. Yeah. So, but to put it briefly, though, we're born atheists. And the majority of us are quickly indoctrinated into a religion by mere happenstance of where we are born. Uh, I think, do you have a clip about with, 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 with um, Dawkins there explaining how he became... Yes, An we atheist. Do. Yes, oh, we good. Do. Okay, so we'll, that, that we'll get into that later. So, with this faulty premise in hand, the social scientists are asking such questions as: Do atheist brains work differently? Are atheists smarter than people who believe in God? Is religion innate? These questions point to a complete lack of understanding about epistemology. And epistemology is the branch of philosophy which deals with the science of knowledge. So you can almost say that. Epistemology is trying to understand science because it is trying to understand knowledge. Exactly. Mm -hmm. How we know what we know. It's higher order concepts such as God, religion, or spiritualism do not come from any special part of the brain. There is no God spot mm -hmm. any more than there's a liberal spot or a Santa Claus spot. <laughs> you know? Or a freedom spot. Or a freedom or spot. Or a rationality Or spot. any higher order concept. To actually ask the question that these scientists are legitimately asking, you know, is there a spot in the brain where uh, that's different from Well, atheists? I do see spots in front of my eyes sometimes. Not the same <laughs> Not spot. The same spot. Okay. 
You know, to ask, simply ask that question, I think, is indicative of, of, a, of faulty, a government grant. <laughs> of a government grant. <laughs> it's like the green movement, yeah. too. You know, anything to get a government yep. grant, whatever lies we'll preach. Governments but, uh, do finance irrationality to a great degree. Oh, they certainly since, do. Since uh, money would not flow normally towards irrational undertakings. Yes, and that I think is a good explanation of, or a good reason why we shouldn't fund Although, any. Although I have no, research. I have no evidence of what I'm saying, though. I'm just, you know. <laughs> what do you think of that? Though Maybe we shouldn't fund any funding. research. I'm sorry. What do you think about that? The government shouldn't be funding any research. Well. I would certainly agree with that, but keep dreaming. Except maybe for <laughs> defense reasons. Yes, of course, yeah. uh, other than the proper function of functions of government. Of course, yeah. Um, so anyway, this kind of research, while scientifically futile, at least in my estimation, is also understandable because it has happened before. There's always been research to try and prove neurological differences of the races and of the sexes, and actually some of that is, out, is valid, especially the sexist part because the brains are different in that respect. But to suggest that atheists exist because they lack a God spot in the brain is a futile attempt to dismiss the different philosophies without looking into why people believe the things that they do. And more, more than that, it's, they're, they're looking for something something somebody doesn't believe in. You don't, you're not defined <laughs> by the things you don't believe in. There's an infinite number of things you don't know about, don't believe in, so we have a spot for all of those in our brain, but not, not anything for... <laughs> if you had a spot in the brain for everything you didn't believe in, your brain would be the size of a football field. Well, it's so silly to even oppose the question. I think that was an understatement, actually, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> actually, I think we're sort of at the quarter of the hour. Okay. You, you want to hear a clip from um, Mr. Dawkins? Yes, yeah, a little clip I found. It's, um, it was on YouTube, and it was um, from a show that he was on that was sort of broadcast on the internet and um, the interview was Mike Aldridge and what was the name of the show yeah, that um, I forget have um, your say yeah he, he says it on the show have your say the and they had big head callers coming in so it's and also in this clip we'll be hearing from someone named Jocelyn Bell Burnell Jocelyn Bell Burnell will end the clip and listen to this woman because she is fascinating and um, she's a religious person right that's the yeah, se second clip yeah. coming out of the bumper identifies okay. her yeah take it away welcome to have your say I'm Mike Wooldridge Today our subject is religion and the existence of God. Did God create man or did man create God? Is religion, is religion a source of good in the world or of evil? Without religion, how could we define these terms? Our guest is Professor Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist and the author of the book, of the, book the God Delusion. Professor Dawkins is the holder of the Charles Simoni Chair of Public Understanding of Science at Oxford University. He's written many books, including The God Delusion, in which he makes the case that a belief in God is not just irrational, but <coughs> potentially deadly. Richard Dawkins, uh, first you. You were born in Kenya, uh, and then you went to uh, live for a few years anyway in what was Nyasaland, now, now Malawi. Uh, loosely, at least, you had an Anglican upbringing. How did you get from there to where you stand on religion today? At the age of about nine, I realized that there was more than one religion and that people all over the world think different things. And it was an accident that I happened to be being brought up Anglican. I realized that if I'd been brought up in a Muslim country, I'd be Muslim. If I'd been brought up in a Hindu country, I'd be Hindu. And so it seemed to be a pure accident that I was Christian, as I thought. But it's a long way from that to becoming an atheist. Well, it's at least, uh, it, it sowed the seeds of doubt. And then uh, I then went back to being uh, Christian. I was confirmed at the age of about 13. And 
continued to be a Christian until I was about 15. The main argument being the argument from design. The world's such a beautiful, elegant place, it looks designed. So it was then that I, I finally discovered Darwinism that finally made me an atheist. Uh, let's be clear about your position on the existence or otherwise of God. You say in, in The God Delusion that God, though not technically disprovable, is very, very improbable indeed. Um, can you explain uh, in a couple of sentences how you have reached that conclusion then and what exactly it means? There's an awful lot of things you can't disprove. You can't disprove fairies, you can't disprove flying teapots and unicorns. Uh, I believe in God to the exactly the same extent as I believe in fairies and unicorns. I can't disprove any of them, but there's no reason positively to believe in any of them. Scientists should never claim that something is absolutely true. You should never claim perfect or total or 100% because you never, ever get there. If we assume we've arrived, we stop searching. And we stop developing. I was born into a Quaker family. Um, my son who's done the research tells me I am ninth generation Quaker. Uh, I've been active in Quakers all my life and still am. I find that Quakerism and research science fit together very, very well. In Quakerism, you're expected to develop your own understanding of God from your experience in the world. There isn't a creed, there isn't a dogma. Um, there's a, an understanding, but nothing as, as formal as a dogma or creed. And this idea that you develop your own understanding also means that you keep redeveloping your understanding as you get more experience. And it seems to me that's very like what goes on in the scientific method. You have a model of a star, it's an understanding, and you develop that model in the light of experiments and, and observations. And so in both, you're expected to evolve your thinking. Nothing is static, nothing is final. Everything is held provisionally. Well, you can join the conversation at 519-661-3600 or you can get hold of us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And what do you think of that uh, particular lady, Jocelyn Belba? I agree with what she had to say, but there's a great danger in how some people might even interpret that. It can lead to perpetual skepticism and lead to the conclusion that knowledge is not knowable because, oh, we've got to always leave the door open on it, got to have an open mind about everything. And, you know, Ayn Rand used to warn against that. She said, watch out for people who say you've got to have an open mind about everything. She says, that's very different from what you should have, an active mind. Right. Uh, Later on, actually, in that show, she does talk about some uh, absolutes in the sense of um, um, Einstein's theory and things that are proven mm -hmm. and do become uh, absolute in science. And it's just the fact that uh, these que uh, answering one question... Uh, asks a, a hundred more and uh, she's a fascinating lady and, and what excites me about science mm -hmm. 
is um, why science trumps religion as a means of discovering the universe. Because Jocelyn Bell was the lady who discovered pulsars and opened our mind to a vast universe out there. And I understand we have a, a call around the line. Yes, we do. Someone we know, Paul McKeever. Paul McKeever. Hello, hey, Paul, Paul. Are you there? Yes, I am. How are you guys? Not too bad. What's on your mind, Paul? Well, I was really hit by that, uh, that one co- uh, passage you had there at the break with Dawkins, where they were talking about the very low probability of uh, God existing. That is the result of a false dichotomy where Dawkins, although he recognizes that some things are arbitrary and can't be proven, he then goes on to treat the arbitrary as though it has a probability of being true. And I, that's, a, that's an epistemological error. Until there is some evidence that something is true, it should be disregarded as false. Isn't that exact? Isn't that though what he's saying? Isn't isn't that sort of what they're saying? Like, oh, okay, I've got my mind made up, but if somebody brought me some evidence, I'd have to consider it again. Isn't that really what is being said? I don't think so. Uh, as soon as he says it's a small probability, he's lying that it's greater than zero. Uh, you don't. If you're doing th- science properly. Um, you certainly, you know, examine evidence based on the findings that you have made. You then progress and ask more questions based on those findings. But what you never do in science is assume that something is a possibility and then research on that basis. It's a huge error because at that point you're really just chasing Santa Claus, as it were. You, you first need to have the evidence, then you, make, then you ask the questions that stem from the evidence. That's an excellent point, Paul. What, what, he's, what we've done in the past is, is put up this straw tiger sort of thing, this, this falsehood, and, and then say disprove it, rather than um, treating things, uh, okay, there's evidence out there for something, let's, let's pursue it. Right. Like that God spot you were just talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, everything is nonsense until uh, there's some evidence for it. Everything else is just non-knowledge. It doesn't exist and should not even enter anybody's mind for any purpose whatsoever. Excellent. Except that perhaps, is, uh, you know, making fun of somebody. As a matter of fact, I, I really like Richard Dawkins, but he, he sometimes falls down in, in areas like this. And I think Sam Harris might be a, sometimes a, a better spokesman for, for uh, just views just like what you're just trying to articulate there, Paul. Uh, I don't recall what Harris had said on the on that particular point, but uh, anyway, I'll let you guys go back to the show. But thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for calling, Paul. Take care. See you. Yeah, you know, it seems that uh, the thing most most people are confused about, including even the, some of the most brilliant scientists, is knowledge of knowledge, how knowledge actually works, and what is valid and what is not. And I think that was a point Paul was trying to bring up there. Exactly. You know, religious people are often describing or often describe atheists as being arrogant know-it-alls who think that they're superior and more intelligent than people who have faith in a personal God. And the exact opposite is true. If Burnell's comments mean anything, it's that for any scientist to continue to work in the morning, to go to get up and go to work in the morning, it's with the belief that they're ignorant, that they lack knowledge, that they have yet to answer questions, that they've, they've yet to discover something. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning. It's a form of humility. Not in the sense of humility that you and I sometimes, you know, poo-poo, but um, contrarily, there are legions of religious people who make it a career to preach to people, to convert, to proselytize, to say that they have the answers. So, I mean, the the, the question <laughs> or the the uh, juxtaposition of, uh, of scientists as being know-it-alls is exactly false. I understand we have another call on the line. And who is this we might be talking to? Hello. 
Hi, this is Paul. This is the other Paul. Another oh, Paul. Another Hi, Paul. Paul. How are you? Hi, it's good to talk to you. Um, uh, you know, we talked before um, over the years. Uh, you know, I do consider myself a religious person. Um, that said, I don't think I would fit into the category that you've defined religion for the purpose of this uh, of this program in particular. But um, uh, I'm just just wanted to point out one thing, that it's not so strange, uh, Robert mentioned, that the universities should be the center of science and objective understanding, but when considering that, at least in the Western tradition, that universities are outgrowths of old medieval uh, monasteries, it's not so strange that they should consider these uh, questions of faith, and, uh, and it also would explain perhaps the sort of anti-Semitic sort of tendency they've taken over the years, but that's, I guess that's another... Uh, another thing. Actually, it's not, because you're, you're going to like this, because we're going to be dealing with all of what you just brought up in the second half of the show. Oh, I might be jumping the gun. <laughs> oh, you may be. I just, uh, if I could make this one point before Please. I get to you. Yeah, um, we're talking a bit about, a bit about epistemology, and mm-hmm. as you know, I've read Ayn Rand as well. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I don't think it, it's quite fair completely to dismiss any sort of faith element to epistemology, and... Um, I'll give you just, just one example I actually discussed with Paul McKeever, funny enough, that uh, at one time in the past, for instance, I've never been to Australia, but so I don't know absolutely for sure that such a place exists. It's, it is physically possible that the whole world is just, you know, a big joke. And no, just, no, uh, no, the lady who answered the phone here, she, she just came up from Australia. She can tell you it's really there. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, she's, you know, you know <laughs> the thing is, we of, have course, a I, of course I know and I believe that. Yeah. And, and in it, what it, what the thing is, that's, that's a very extreme example. Of but course. What, what I don't like is some of this, the knee-jerk reactions, not from people I would consider atheists, which, you know, they're certainly entitled to, but this anti-theist what I call it, this idea that just because an idea has come to us through religion, that we necessarily have to write it off. And you see, no, this, you, a lot, you you see you, this a lot when uh, people, uh, well, in the past, um, it was really only the Jews who washed their hands when handling dead bodies, and other people didn't, they got sick. And they said, well, that's just a, a strange ritual the Jews have. But nowadays we know that that's the right thing. And later, even like kosher food, science discovered the, the health benefits of kosher food and right now, there's a big controversy, uh, at least in Europe, about uh, uh, circumcision uh, of boys, saying, "Oh, there's no medical reason for that." Yet we're finding now again that, especially with the with the uh, spread of like cervical cancer in women, that uh, it's almost unknown among Orthodox Jewish uh, communities because Orthodox Jews, the men are circumcised and they don't have relations during the woman's menstrual period. No, I agree with you, Paul. <laughs> that there are certainly uh, aspects of religion that have that have are, are very positive. The value systems. I was going to get into that as well. In fact, that's the theme of the whole second half of the show today. Yeah, but I have to take issue with your saying that it's you're basing your knowledge of Australia on faith. No, you're not. You're basing it on evidence. There is evidence that Australia exists, even though you have never been there. And that's mm-hmm. what science is about. There is evidence. But what Paul's saying is he hasn't himself seen the evidence. And just because you, you yourself may not have seen a pulsar doesn't mean that they ex- don't exist either. You know, saying there is evidence to suggest there are. But when you get to a religion and a god, that's a different matter. Yeah, but it's a very metaphorical, though. Like, like you said, there's so many different religions, there's so many definitions of religion, so many ideas mm-hmm. of what God is. So it, it's a little, I think it's just a little too easy to, to jump the gun and take on the the anti-theistic track, if you know what I'm saying. It's, uh, we I hear do, you. I yeah. do exactly, and I, and I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, being an atheist, I'm certainly not necessarily anti-theist. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, you know, trying to be understanding of uh, people's In fact, that's, uh, that's the, the very issue I wanted to address in the second half. How are we doing here, Robert? You're almost... Uh, uh, just thanks for calling, bit. Paul. Yeah, thank you, Paul.
Just got a little bit more to, uh, mm-hmm. to go here, Bob, before the bottom of the hour, because um, I want to wrap up at least my part of the show here, saying that um, science has provided us with many of the answers to many of our questions and has, as it should, come up with many more questions for us to answer. But today we no longer find it natural to turn to mystics for answers, but to science. At least I hope so. Uh, religion has historically been an, uh, an invention of man to, the, to establish an order to society. This goes to what Paul was saying about some of the positive aspects. You know, to group individuals under a common set of values and moral codes in order to facilitate a community. And for this I say that religion has served a useful purpose, but to continue to use religion as a social ethical glue uh, as such is no longer necessary in my estimation. And given our understanding of science and reality, it can actually be harmful. Because as Ayn Rand said, faith as such is extremely detrimental to human life. It is a negation of reason. But you must remember that religion, and I'm still quoting Rand here, is an early form of philosophy. That the first attempts to explain the universe, to give a coherent frame of reference to man's life and a code of moral values were made by religion. Before men graduated or developed enough to have a philosophy. And as philosophies, some religions have very valuable moral points, says Rand. They may have a good influence or proper principles to inculcate, but in a very contrary or contradictory context and a on a very, how should I say it, she says, dangerous or malevolent base on the ground of faith. So, religion, yes, but in my estimation it served its purpose. We now have a, a much a uh, better way to understand the universe, a much reasoned way to establish values and morals and ethics in society. And while I myself even would call myself a cultural Christian because I, I've, I've born and raised in a, a Christian society, um, still practice a lot of the, you know, for example, Christmas. Those things are nice. For example, I think Paul was calling, was that Paul from Sweden? Yes. Yeah, that's Paul, Paul come from yeah. Sweden. And you know, Sweden, I think, has um, 80% of Swedes are atheists. 80%, 50% of British, 33% of French, 23% of Canadians, but only like 5 to 9% of Americans are atheists. Well, I'll be very curious to see what you have to say about the, the what I'm bringing for the second half of the program, because I'll be talking about another Quaker. I found out he was a Quaker, and that's uh, one of my favorite philosophers, John McMurray. Eh? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to hearing yeah. about your John McMurray thing, but uh, just to conclude, mm-hmm. Bob, if there's anything to learn from the growth of science and the increasing number of atheists... It's that, as a species, we're evolving and we're maturing <laughs> philosophically. Interesting. It's going to be really fascinating, your comments after this. Now, before we go for a break, just to let you know what you're going to hear next, this is from Penn and Teller, um, talking briefly about uh, the whole concept of intelligent design. And when we come back on the other side of the break, uh, a slightly different view from what you just heard, but perhaps very consistent with it. I think it might surprise you. We'll be back after this. It is totally illogical to believe that there was not a plan involved here and it it defies all probability that there was not. There's two different issues and two different beliefs of two different kinds of people. And if evolution, since it's already a little bit in the schools, I think that creationism should be allowed to be talked about. These people know that the only way creationism is going to be taught alongside evolution is if they convince us that it too is a science. Well, God isn't a science. So the creationists use a phrase that sounds, at least to their desperate, deluded ear, less religious and more scientific. 
intelligent design. Intelligent design is a theory that there was some, there is some master plan, some creator of some type that, that put together the world as it is. I choose to use the, the wording of intelligent design because it takes it out of any type of philosophical or religious setting. Yeah, they're trying to sneak their creationist crap right past us. And in Cobb County, they've already had some success at it. In 2002, they got the school board to place this sticker inside every biology textbook. Believe it or not, it informs students that evolution is a theory, not a fact, and should be critically considered. I'm betting there won't be any sticker saying intelligent design isn't validated by any science or anything. We just made it up. The idea of science should be to determine truth. And truth is what corresponds with reality, with the facts. And so if the facts point towards a creator, then true science should acknowledge that and examine the evidence of, of creation, of intelligent design. Sounds pretty rational, doesn't it? Unfortunately, the facts point toward evolution. These animals don't even really know what the word theory means in a scientific context. It doesn't mean guess. You know, that the Earth goes around the sun? That's a theory, too. And that, too, is contradicted by the Bible. I guess they're thinking one step at a time. Jeffrey Selman is a transplanted New Yorker who can't believe what's going on in his new hometown. How bad does the world have to be for a New Yorker to be the voice of reason? This is America, okay? And to deny that this whole issue is about religion is ludicrous to me. It's spin. When somebody comes up here and says intelligent design is a science and then says it's based on God, that's religion. These people are looking for more political power to dominate our culture. That's why I'm doing this. They're not going to step over us. America's sleeping and they've got to start waking up. Do the right thing. And if you pass this thing, make sure you put correct science into the science classes. God bless all of you, because I'm a religious person too. <laughs> taken me along wherever you wanted to go. This was your ritual. You set these challenges for yourself. It's true that I came here with certain expectations. Are you saying that you simply fulfilled my expectations? You'd have settled for nothing else. I'm not ready to give up. If there's still a way to save Kess, I want to try. You've come back to seek the spirits. I don't know what I'm seeking. Then I believe you are ready to begin. Are we ready to begin, Robert? Yes, we are. Welcome back. You're listening to CHRW 94.9 FM, and the show is just right, where we're talking about religion versus science, or could there possibly be a reconciliation of sorts? Uh, Robert, you know I've been a fan for a long time of um, Scottish philosopher John McMurray. Another Quaker, by the way. Another Quaker. 
and um, very religious, um, and in every respect, probably agrees with every major dis- you know, conclusion that Ayn Rand arrived at. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't even think of any significant one that's important. Um, Here's how John McMurray is described in the, in the liner of one of his books. It's interesting. It says, one, one important way of reading the whole of McMurray is to, is to see him as putting into place one central idea, that what it means for a person to be fully rational, fully objective in feeling, thought, and action is to become authentically religious. Now, that's what he calls religious, right? This he intends to show as a philosophical truth, because the task of philosophy for McMurray is the search for reality. And therefore, he says there can be no severing of the connection between persons and religion. So, what I did here, Robert, I've done this not too often on the show, never with you here, but what I did, I took a whole bunch of stuff from McMurray's uh, two of his key books, namely Freedom in the Modern World and Reason and Emotion. And I took all those sections out of those books that I noticed uh, specifically referred to our theme today, science uh, versus faith, science versus religion. And, uh, of course, the first thing I looked up was, I looked up the, my, my Funk and Wagnall's dictionary definition of religion. It was a little bit different from yours. Um, quote, the beliefs, attitudes, emotions, behavior, etc., constituting a man's relationship with the powers and principles of the universe. Now, that could include a deity or not. That's right. That's, that's a different that's definition yes. than what I was talking about. And I think it's the more accurate one. Another one says an object... Well, both are accurate. It's just but, which, which well, context you use them. Perhaps. This is the context that I think we're introducing here, and it's a dictionary context. And the second one is an object of conscientious devotion or scrupulous care, as in his work is a religion to him, and you know, or he mm-hmm. exercises religiously. It's a practice. Sure. And it comes down to... Uh, um, basically a lifestyle in a way. So what I've done is I've taken John McMurray, and I'm going to be quoting him here, um, interject if you have any comments to make along the way, but I'm sure he's probably dealt with them. Uh, but he asked the question, and I've put it together this way, and this is John McMurray talking, so um, uh, I'm not going to say quote and all that stuff. We'll just carry on, and you'll know when I'm talking. But he, this is John McMurray. I'll start with a quote and quote. Suppose we were courageously to throw religion overboard and put our faith wholeheartedly in science. What would be the result? Just this, we should have destroyed the support upon which science rests. We should have abandoned science itself. Religion is, above all things, a way of living. That's sort of what we were just saying, weren't we? (laughs) And neither merely a set of beliefs about the world nor a set of feelings about the world. Although because it is a way of living, it includes both of these. The point is this. We cannot put our trust in science for a very simple reason. Science is concerned with facts and with the laws that govern facts. It is completely unbiased, unemotional, disinterested. It has no purpose except to understand facts. What we do with the knowledge that science creates is not the business of science. Science has nothing to do with good or evil, with the satisfaction of human desires. It has nothing to do with action because it must be completely disinterested. And action cannot be disinterested. Action depends on what we want. Notice one thing in particular, uh, says McMurray. So long as you think that you know the truth, so long as you believe that it has been revealed and is guaranteed, thinking is unnecessary. It is only when you recognize that you don't know, that you are ignorant, that what you have hitherto believed is not certain, that there's any serious reason for thinking. 
It is only when you do not know what your conclusions will be that thought is free. But I'll, I should like to say one other thing first, says McMurray. To trust our human feelings and act upon them freely is not to do as we feel inclined. It is not to feel anyhow and to act anyhow. The free thought that has unraveled the mysteries of the natural world is not and cannot be undisciplined thought, which is never free. In other words, he's saying free thought has to be disciplined to the facts of reality or it can't be free. So he says, we've learned to trust ourselves to think, but we've refused to trust ourselves to feel. We've learned to look at facts in the face, but not to look at values in the face. Value is emotionally apprehended. Notice he says apprehended, not understood, apprehended. That's, that's the package. That's why we react before we think about something. That gets into right. things like Ayn Rand when she talks about art. Right. Art is first, oh. firstly felt. And, and Murray gets into art yeah. big, but I'm And then you understand it. Yes. And he says, a faith was a principle of valuation by means of which a man decides what is worthwhile and what is not. If what we want is evil or stupid or selfish, science will prove disastrous. If our wa wants are wise and high-minded, it will be a boon. Science itself is indifferent. Now, there are laws to the world of value, says McMurray. The civilization which leaves the decision of its values to chance has failed, and history like nature sweeps its failures onto the dust heap and starts over again. Now, that's interesting because there's the principle of evolution applied both to the physical and to the emotional realm. And you were saying that earlier. You didn't realize <laughs> it, but you were. You're talking about how we evolve. And he says, science has come, listen to this, science has come to the point of insisting upon having the facts about our values, about our feelings and motives, hence the God spot, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, by the way, you've got to understand, he wrote this back in the 1930s, yes. okay? Yeah. Um, so he says, for though science cannot... Actually, Bob, actually, that's apropos, because back yeah. in the 30s, you had um, the rise of communism. Well, actually, not the rise, but you had communism and uh, oh, Nazism in, in Germany, and they were predicated on the belief that uh, human beings were more or less automatons, a very cold and philosophy. And at the same time as the atomic bomb was being developed. Think yes. about that. Two dangerous mm -hmm. trends. <laughs> So he says, uh, so McMurray continues, for though science cannot determine our desires for us, it can tell us what they really are and make it impossible to pretend about them any longer. Now, this is interesting. Science will make it increasingly impossible for us to disguise our lust for power as humanitarian passion for benevolence, our greed of gain as a service to the community, our anxiety for our property rights as a passion for justice, or our craving for security as religion. Not all of those are bad, but he's saying you can't confuse the two. He says, I want you rather to think of religion as a human activity, as something men do because they are men and not animals. Something that expresses that demand of our nature to achieve the capacity to live in terms of the real world outside us, not in terms of our own impulses. Religion, therefore, is reason and human nature. Now, isn't that a different definition? than anything we hear in terms of religion. Achieving the unity of personal life. It is the force which creates friendship, society, community, and cooperation in living. That, then, is religion and human nature. The slow growth of emotional reason within us. Almost saying what you said again. Uh, still far from its maturity. What we call religions are only the effort to express this, to symbolize the thing we dim, dimly feel but cannot realize in living. What our childishness thinks of as another world, as a supernatural world, is merely the reality of this world, 
that is hidden from us by the imperfection of our own sensitiveness. You know what McBurry is making me think of? What's that? Well, you know that there are five branches of philosophy, Mm -hmm. metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, and um, uh, aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And if you put them in a pyramid, metaphysics is on the bottom, and then there's epistemology, and it goes from there. And, And science is really good at the metaphysics and the epistemology part. But it takes somebody like a McMurray to actually work on the ethics, the politics, and the aesthetics. And and to relate them, because I tell you, he writes a lot of books about um, astronomy and things like that, too. I Mm -hmm. learned a lot about physics from McMurray in a way that I could actually understand, because he wrote in in a language you could understand. I'm going to take a break here now before we continue. Uh, what you're going to hear is, uh, of course, a little more from the Voyager issue or Voyager episode we've been playing. But on the other side, you're going to hear again from an interesting comment um, from the Michael Corrin show uh, with Ann Coulter, where she's talking about uh, Christians and Jews, and it's a very interesting comment she makes because she was taken to account for it. Uh, I don't agree with essentially what she says here, but I understand it now because of what I've read from McMurray. And we'll come back after this break. I'm taking her back into the biogenic field. I hate to question you, Captain, but why? I believe it will save her life. You have some new information on the effects of the field? I can't explain it to you. Captain, you've been through a lot in the past few days. I know what I'm doing. Are you sure of that? There are 800 megajoules of biogenic energy running through that shrine. The Thoron radiation levels are off the scale. That's what you'd be taking her and yourself into. Why don't you take some time to think about this and let us run a few more scans? No. It's my responsibility to keep you safe, for the crew's sake, if not for your own. I'd rather not have to relieve you of duty. But if your judgment's been impaired in any way... He can't really do that, can he? Yes, he can. I suppose it might be necessary if the captain of a ship were really mentally impaired. But you're not crazy, Catherine. You know that. These are the same people who were willing to let Kiss die just for disturbing their shrine. Can you take their word for it that you'll be safe in there? I can't give you my word on that. Nobody knows what will happen to them in the shrine until they go in. I don't know the answers. But you do. Tricorder readings Commander Chakode took at the shrine revealed traces of iridium ions, which we could have known about sooner if we'd been permitted to take those readings in the first place. And iridium ions are significant? They caused a temporary dielectric effect in the outer epidermal layers, which neutralized some of the biogenic energy. Not much, but enough to make the captain's altered biochemistry an effective defense. Then how was I cured? The metabolic treatment I administered protected you against the full impact of exposure to the field when the captain took you through. That exposure functioned like a natural cortical stimulator and reactivated your synaptic pathways. That's fascinating, Doctor. Captain? If there's something about my analysis you disagree with... It's a perfectly sound explanation, Doctor. Very scientific.
Let's talk about uh, faith uh, issues for a moment because there are different perceptions of Christianity. There are some people, often non-Christians, who believe being a Christian means simply speaking very quietly and occasionally wearing <laughs> sandals. You're a Christian? <laughs> yes, I am. And <laughs> have you ever, in, in those moments of, of prayer or reflection, thought, goodness me, I, 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 I may not have turned the other cheek. I, I may have offended someone unnecessarily. Is that part of your Christian faith? Um, yes, though never for any of my political commentary. Now, you, you're philo-Semitic. You're extremely pro-Jewish, supportive of Israel, knowledgeable of Judaism. You made a statement which is entirely in keeping with Christian faith. You spoke about... Um, uh, Christians being c completed Jews. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that, that, is, in, that is not uh, opposed to any form of, of, Christ, of genuine right. Christian theology, but of course people jumped on it to say, oh, you see? Yes, no, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, d I didn't want to respond at the time because it was all done as a publicity stunt by the person interviewing me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is a fact. The Old Testament goes through in anticipation of the Messiah. They say he hasn't come yet. We say turn the page. There he is. That is a fact of what the, how the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to one another. A Jew who becomes a Christian is completing the, the, what, what is prophesied in the Old Testament. That is a fact. You cannot get around that fact. You cannot say you were offended by a fact of a description of the Bible. <laughs> a fact of a description of the Bible. <laughs> That's not a fact. <laughs> Sounds a little oxymoronic in it, some senses. It, it is. And, um, but interesting, you know, I have this article by Rory Leishman who points out uh, in referring to a book by George Gilder how Jews uh, currently comprise fewer than one-third of one percent of the world's population, yet over the past 60 years have won more than 30 percent of the Nobel Prizes for Literature, Chemistry, Physics, and Medicine. Interesting, isn't it? Here's one out of the uh, National Post. Culture and prosperity, it says the article. And in England, they did a survey and they compared uh, incomes by religion. At the top, and this is average in American dollars, average net household wealth in Britain by religious affiliation. At the top are Jewish, 684,000. Then, then Sikh at 371, Hindu 337, Christian 361, none 224, and Muslim 68. So there's a clear something going on there, isn't there? What's also fascinating is, um, unfortunately I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I looked at them the other night, about the degree or the percentage of uh, Jews who aren't religious in the sense of uh, they don't they are not uh, literalists from the, uh, that's, of the that's New Testament. True, that's true of many They are religions. secular Jews. Yes. And they have a word for it, which I, was, escapes me at the moment, but it's a substantial portion. I think it was in the 30% or something like that. You know, uh, it's, it's funny because um, McMurray argues, and here again I quote, he says, you know, in its true sense, science is the one proper positive expression of Christianity that the world has seen. And that's what he thinks. Mm -hmm. He says, the rest of modern culture, its art, morality, and religion is simply the disrupted remnants of the pseudo-Christianity of the medieval world. During the earlier stages of its development, science had to struggle for its very existence against religious prejudice. But science triumphed. And at the hour of its triumph, science has become as full of pride and prejudice as religion ever was. Its prejudice against religion is perhaps natural when we, rem when we remember history. But the pride of science in what it hasn't done and proposes to do in the future is much less reasonable and often quite ridiculous. Modern science is very liable to superstition and tends to breed superstition in its devotees. Now, isn't that true? Junk science. Did he pre predict that? Did he predict the green movement? completely irrational, scientific, quote-unquote, based 
irrationalities. Religion. Yeah. And he, <laughs> basic, but not by... No, he would say they're not. He would call them superstitions. Oh, I see. Oh, see? Yeah. Uh, there are fashions and superstitions as there are in hats, he says. And the current superstitions are scientific. There's even a superstition called Christian science. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote that back in the 30s. He says it's sometimes alleged that science and religion have, have different fields, that science is appropriate to the study of the material world while religion deals with the spiritual. This is surely a misconception. Science and religion are not concerned with two different worlds, but with the one and the same world, the only one there is. <laughs> Pretty obvious, right? Yes. But he says, yeah, he says, but then they say it's different aspects of the same world. Science is quantitative. Religion is qualitative. He says there may be something in this, but as it stands, it's false. There cannot be two truths about the same world. Truth is one and indivisible. Is religion to be regarded as a science of quality? You cannot say that science takes no account of, quote, the purpose of the world, a vague phrase that hides a fog in the mind, intelligent design, eh? The questions, is there a single purpose in the universe, is not a religious question. It might quite, well be, might quite well be answered in the affirmative by a science which was completely atheistic. Huh. Science does not worship. It inquires. It analyzes. It classifies. It does sums. On the other hand, religion is not merely worship, and worship may be merely superstitious. If superstitious worship is religion, then astrology and palmistry are science, he says. <laughs> religion cannot simply sit down and worship anything and everything. It must claim reality for what it worships. And it must make some statement about this reality and assert not merely that it is true, but that it is the supreme truth. A religious temper which is indifferent to any truth, scientific or otherwise, is ipso facto superstitious. Okay, that's what Stevie Wonder, very superstitious. When you believe in superstition, you know, when people believe in things they don't understand, superstition takes command, yes. right? Because they don't understand it. And he says, scientific results can be and will be used for the satisfaction of thoroughly unscientific passions and desires. And because science cannot determine values or practical ideals, a scientific age is always a materialistic age. Not because science is materialistic, for it isn't but because a scientific age is an age whose emotions are left uncivilized and bar barbarous. The civilizing of the emotions is the business of art and of religion, of religion particularly, and science cannot do it because it must be free from emotion or cease to be science. Science is an impersonal means to a personal end. Religion reaches up to the full reality of knowledge, to the knowledge of, quote-unquote, God. That's what he calls it, see? But you may well ask in astonishment, where is there such a religion to be found in the world? Look at religion. I repeat, says McMurray, the only positive thing in the world as yet is modern science. A Christian philosophy, a Christian art, and a Christian religion still await creation. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? interesting, yeah. And he says, religion in the sense in which it deserves consideration is one of the three general expressions of rationality, the other two, art and science. For rationality is objective consciousness and is only possible in beings who stand in conscious relationship to objects which they know are not themselves. These objects may be either material, living creatures, or persons like ourselves. It is primarily the development of rationality in science that is revealing the childishness and irrationality of contemporary religion. 
humanity is still very young and immature. And our immaturity shows more clearly in the religious field than in anywhere else, as it is bound to do. It's much easier to behave as a reasonable being when you're manipulating wood or metal than in dealing with your fellow man. <laughs> Isn't that so true, eh? In human experience, rationality appears not as a finished product, but as an inherent pressure to rise above irrationality. Maybe that's what we have, an irrationality spot. And that's what we've got to rise above when we, when we go through life. And thus progressively to achieve our own nature. Rationality, says McMurray, is a differentia of humanity. So that's basically, you know, the sense of where McMurray's coming about. There's so much more I could say about that. But you see what, what he's saying. He's redefined religion. He says, look, if religion's going to be real, if you're really talking about a real religion, you can have such a thing, but it's got to kind of relate to reality. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And religion is a way of life. It, it, it may or may not include deities. He's, he, he always says it strikes his reader strange that he very rarely ref does refer to God. But he says it's, you know, it's advisable to do so because if you have a false uh, idea of what you think God is, then everything you say about him will be false. And therefore you can't use that as a, as a premise to talk on. So anyway, talks about God being symbolic and the symbolism it represents and how each uh, culture, you know, is, is basically, that's what a culture is and why so many cultures are defined by their religions. So Mary would not fit into the definition that I was uh, talking about. Not the same one. No. Not a personal God who's actually interested in uh, daily affairs of human but, life. But I often wonder when we deal with you and I with religious people like Ann Coulter like she you know uh -huh. she just flew at me like I'm uh, you know I'm the devil himself because I said I don't believe in deities and then I tried to explain to her yeah but I believe thou shalt not kill that thou shalt not steal you have values right they just come from a different uh, place. exactly but she and what did she say to me I forget exactly but she said oh well you're a, you're a latent Christian or something like yeah. that which could be true if you looked at it a little bit like McMurray does she doesn't of course not the way she expresses herself but um, that's why, I, you know, although I'm not, uh, I certainly don't believe in deities, I don't have that hostility towards religious people that some quote-unquote quote, quote unquote, atheists do. Um, if I hear a really evil idea, I don't care whether it's atheist or religious. <laughs> no, I can't, ha I can't oh. <laughs> have hostile feelings either because, you know something, I was a Catholic. Of course. And you we, know, just like Dawkins was an Anglican. I, I was a Catholic. I we believed in God. And by then, accident, just like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, just because I happened to be born right. into a Catholic family. But the thing is that um, that is where I came from. So if I'm going to have hostile feelings, I'll have to have hostile feelings against myself. There you go. Robert, I think we got to go. Don't we? We're getting that look. Well, here we go. Time flew. See you next week, folks. And remember what to do. Until then, be right, act right, do right, stay right, and think right. We'll see you then. to black and white under the bed clothes everything will be alright now I never go to church I never I, I have become so shallow so superficial but I wish I were more spiritual I'm reading this book by Deepak Chopra he claims that no matter how beautiful or cosmetically challenged you may be <laughs> because your flesh is only a container for your spirit you must get in touch with your spirit. I got in touch with my spirit. He wants to move to Cindy Crawford's container. 